0: The story of Bathsheba and the ramifications continue. Hashem saw exactly what happened, was not happy. Hashem sent Natan the prophet, Natan navi, to David to deliver a harsh rebuke. He came to him with a parable through which he hoped that David would realize the severity of his actions so that the prophet would not have to castigate the king directly. Nathan said to him, there were two men, two people in the city, one rich and one poor. The rich man had a great deal of flocks and cattle. The poor man had nothing save a little ew, EWE that he had bought. He took care of it by feeding and caring for himself and it grew up together with him and with his children. It's a little lamb. It was his only possession. He treated it like a member of his household almost. It would eat from his bread, it would drink from his cup, and it would lie in his bosom. It became like a daughter to him. A traveler came to the rich, rich man. The rich man was loath to take from his flock or slaughter an animal from his cattle to prepare for the guest who had come to him. He took the oo of the poor man prepared it for the man who had come to him. Nathan related the story of injustice as though it had occurred in an actual city, and he's asking the king for what to be done. David's wrath was greatly inflamed against the rich man. He said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, I swear that the man who does this is deserving of death. What an injustice. He shall pay fourfold to, for the oo because he performed this matter and because he had no compassion on the poor man's only possession. Nathan says to David, ish, You're the man. This is not some hypothetical story. It's you. This is what God says. I anointed you king of Israel. I delivered you from the hands of Sheol. I gave you the house of your master which you inherited from him. And your master's wives I gave to you in your bosom. Not necessarily Shaul's wives, but referring to Michal, Shaul's daughter. And I gave you the house of Israel and Yehuda. And if that were not enough and you wanted more property, I would add for you much more. You could receive more. Why did you debase the word of Hashem? Madu'a bazisa t'var Hashem. To do evil in my eyes. Uriah the Chittite, you smote with the sword. Basically, you ordered his death. And his wife, you took for yourself as a wife and killed him with the sword of the children of Ammon. You basically cunningly got him killed through the Ammonites. Ve'ata'en now, just as you declared with regard to the rich man that he should be executed, lo'isat tasur mi the sword will not turn away from your house forever. Death will pursue your household in all generations. Because you debased me on my command. And you've taken the wife of Uriah Chittite to be your wife without showing any restraint. Ko Hashem, so says Hashem. Behold, I will arouse harm against you from your house. Your punishment will come from your own family. I will take your wives before your eyes and I'll give them to your neighbor, somebody else. And he will lie with your wives in the sight of the sun publicly. for you acted in secret, but I will do this matter beca- before all Israel and before the sun. Now that's an admonishment. David turns to Nathan and says, Chatasi l'ashem. I have sinned before the Lord. Doesn't blame. He just acknowledges. There's no justification. He knows that. <clears throat> if you read chapter 51 of Tehilim, you'll see some of David's thoughts after Ayomar David. When David says, with I love, Natan, when Natan came to him, chapter 51 discusses that. Natan says to David, since you sincerely regret your misdeeds, Hashem has expunged even your sin. You will not die. The curse of the sword will not fall directly upon you. However, because you have scorned the enemies of Hashem, which is a euphemism for Hashem, in other words, you made Hashem upset, the baby that is born to you and Bathsheba will die. Natan went to the ha- his house, and the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and he was gravely ill. He was in mortal danger. David entreated Hashem on behalf of the boy. David fasted, and when he would go to sleep in his house, he would lie on the ground without eating. The elders, the dignitaries of the house, accosted him to raise him from the ground, but he was unwilling. He would not eat food with them. He just sat and fasted. It was on the seventh day of David's prayers to Hashem and his fasting, the child died. The servants of David were afraid to tell him the child had died. They said to each other, Behold, when the child was alive, we spoke to him, and he did not heed our voice. How will we tell him the child is dead? He will do harm. What will he do to himself? David saw his servants whispering, he understood the child died. He turns to them and says, Did the child die? And they said, He died. David rose from the ground, he bathed, anointed himself with oil, changed his garment, came to the house of the Lord to pray and prostrate himself. He entered his house, requested food, they placed bread before him and he ate. He returned to his normal lifestyle. His servants said to him, what's this thing you've done? For the living child you fasted and wept. When the child dies, you rose and ate food as if nothing's wrong. By Yomaren, he says, While the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. As I said, Who knows? Perhaps Hashem will will favor me. And the child will live. But now he died. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back? After all, I am going to him. The child exists in the world to come, and I will see him when I pass away. But he will not return to me. Which is an interesting reference to the world to come. You don't see that many references within Tanakh to the world to come. But literally, David says, I'm going to him. David consoles Batsheva's wife in her mourning for her son. He gives her promises, including insurance that if they have another child, this son would rule after David. Later on, we'll see, Batcheva reminds David of this promise. That's King Shlomo. And David came to her and he lay with her. She bore him a son, and they named him Shlomo. Peace. Unlike the first son, which came from an adulterous relationship, this child was born from a healthy marriage but Sheva was now David's lawful wife and the birth of the new child concludes the episode to a certain extent and already from the beginning of the child's conception the Lord loved him there's an interesting point regarding whether it was literal adultery in those days it was the law that when somebody went out to war they had to divorce their wife on condition in other words in case they die or they're lost they're divorced retroactively. So, David, whoever went to the war for the family of David, in other words, for the king, to prepare a divorce document for their wife. And that was so in case the person doesn't come back, the wife doesn't have to stay in Aguna, she doesn't have to stay um, lost. Um... To make sure she gets the ketubah rights, to make sure she's taken care of, etc. So Uriah did give his wife a divorce document, so she was semi-divorced. Technically, if she was fully legally married to her husband, and David had been with her, they would not be allowed to marry each other because when a couple has an affair, when a woman has an affair when she's married with a- with a man. Um, and then she divorces her husband. She cannot marry this man. She's not allowed to marry the person that was with her or her husband anymore. If she did it by choice. The question is, did Bathsheba do it by choice? Or was she just uh, in awe of the king and she couldn't stand say no? Those are more the legal questions regarding this case. Hashem sent at the hand of Nathan the prophet, who this time did not come to rebuke David, but for the opposite. Hashem sent a message and he called Shlomo. He gave him another name, Yedidya, which means beloved of Hashem or the friend of Hashem. For Hashem truly loved him.